and we're nearly uh, finished with Gospel Gems in Jeremiah. And I want to bring another jewel from Jeremiah chapter 50, where we were last time. And it's just one verse in that chapter. So I'm not going to read anything else from Jeremiah 50. Verse 20. Verse 20. Jeremiah 50, verse 20. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those whom I preserve. Now, here's a riddle. God here is speaking through the prophets, and God is saying, if you are going to search out for the sins of Israel, you are not going to find them. Now, why am I saying that's a riddle? Well, we've been looking in the midweek meeting at Judges, and we came across Samson giving more than one riddle. Well, here's a riddle that's even more difficult to explain than Samson's riddle. Why? Well, one thing that's true of the book of Jeremiah, it's a long book, isn't it? And one note that has been sounded from the beginning right to the end of the book is God judging the sins of his people. So wherever we have been in Jeremiah, and if you can remember, until we got to chapters 31 to 33, most of the book was negative about God uh, bringing judgments, uh, taking his people to Babylon because of their sin. So wherever you have been in the book of Jeremiah, wherever you have looked, Left, right, center, it's been sin. And now towards the end of the book, there's this riddle. God is saying, if you're going to look for sin, you're not going to find it. It's vanished. Isn't that amazing? Now, the sins that have been listed in Jeremiah, they've been pretty bad. Not only had Israel sinned like the nations round about, but they had done worse. Uh, there was even mention of children being sacrificed to idols. Now, we're horrified, aren't we, when we hear of children being murdered, as has happened recently in Bridgend. But when God's people sacrifice their own children to pacify an idol. How can God say, if you're going to search for the sins of my people, there's not going to be a trace? Isn't that a riddle? And you don't have to look in Jeremiah for sin. Isn't sin today in your face? We're living in a society where sin is so flagrant 
The word sin is even a taboo. It's a bit like Isaiah. Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Aren't they strange times that we are living in where things that in the past would have been considered uh, quite right are now condemned. And things that would have been never done in the open because of shame are now celebrated up and down our land. Never before has sin been so in your face. And yet it happened in the Old Testament, in Isaiah's day. And the same riddle as Jeremiah, the evangelical prophet Isaiah, who has more gospel jewels than Jeremiah, he also said something similar to Jeremiah here. He said a little later on in the book, God speaking again, I, even I, am he who blot out your transgressions and will remember them no more. Isn't that amazing? That in a society where sin is so obvious, God says, you will look for sin and you won't find it. And what about us? What about us? I fear sometimes that the greatest danger for the church of Jesus Christ in the West in our time is to get distracted because we're so horrified, and rightly so, at what is happening in society, that we are, as it were, standing on our platforms. I know I'm standing <laughs> on a platform here, but metaphorically, we are standing uh, above uh, sinful society uh, with a holier-than-thou look. You, you know that look, uh, that schoolteacher look, when they had their glasses uh, half down their nose, and they look at you disapprovingly. I don't know if you've ever read this book, Respectable Sins. It's a must-read by Jerry Bridges. And he mentions about us. What about our conservative evangelical churches? You see, in Jeremiah, it was the professing people of God who were being condemned. And this is what Bridges says. Has the idea of sin all but disappeared from us also? No, it has not disappeared. But it has in many instances been deflected. We're good at deflecting sin to those outside our circles who commit flagrant sins such as abortion, homosexuality and murder it's easy for us to condemn those obvious sins while virtually ignoring our own sins, respectable sins of gossip, pride, envy, bitterness, and lust. A pastor invited the men in his church to join him in a prayer meeting. Rather than praying about the spiritual needs of the church, all of the men, without exception, prayed about the sins of the culture. Finally, the pastor, dismayed over the apparent self-righteousness of the men, closed the prayer meeting 
with the well-known prayer of the tax collector, God be merciful to me, the sinner. My friends, unless that's our attitude this morning, we don't understand the gospel. It's not just society that has sin flagrantly uh, committed, but even the professing people of God have respectable sins. And we should say, with Isaiah, when he had that vision of God, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. But what's amazing is this. I, I find that the churches in the West today are a bit like the children of Israel in the wilderness when they were led uh, by Moses to the promised land. And what did they do? They spent 40 years going round in circles. Isn't that what we are doing often, going round in circles, complaining against God? And do you know what's amazing? When the enemy tried to get Balak to prophesy against the children of Israel, God gave the enemy a statement, very much like what we're looking at this morning. Do you know it? God has not beholden iniquity in Jacob. Neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. What a riddle. When sin is all around, whether it's flagrant sins in society, whether it's respectable sins in the church, God says, if you're going to look for sin, you're not going to find it. Now, all I want to do this morning is answer that riddle. And I just want to press home before I answer it. If anybody here thinks that they are not the sinner this morning, uh, look, look at the way Jeremiah puts it. The iniquity of Israel shall be sought. Do you know what the word iniquity means? The word iniquity means something twisted. So we don't have to be guilty of flagrant sins to be a sinner. It's something good that has been perverted. So Isaiah, again, the evangelical prophet, he wrote, all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. Wasn't that what Saul of Tarsus was convicted about uh, when the Spirit opened his eyes to the fact that he was a sinner? Oh, Saul was a very religious man. He was a very respectable man. He kept the commandments blameless. And then one day he died. He thought he was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, that means he was convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. He died because he realized that he was the sinner. It was his religiosity that was twisted. Even our tears need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then sin. What does the word sin mean? The iniquity of Israel shall be sought. And the sin of Judah. What does sin mean? Sin means missing the mark. Missing the mark. I used to play golf. Have you ever played golf? I even had lessons. But before I had lessons, I remember playing crazy golf. And you don't have to hit the ball far, do you, in crazy golf? Well, I wanted to be Gary Player, so I did a swing. And do you know what happened? It wasn't the ball that flew, it was the club. 
<laughs> it completely missed the mark. Not the ball even going off, but the club. And that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. Do you know what God says? God says, my standard, if we're using the golf metaphor, is not the ball uh, on the fairway. It's not even the ball on the green. It's a hole in one. And every one of us here has missed the mark. Every one of us is a sinner here this morning, whether you're guilty of flagrant sins, obvious sins, or respectable sins, unless you can say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Now then, let me give you the answer to the riddle, and then we'll be done. How can God, who is of purer eyes than to look at iniquity, how can God say, if you search for sin, you're never going to find it? How is it possible? Well, it's not sin being covered up. We're good at deflecting, aren't we? In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, do you know what happened when they were confronted with their sin? Uh, God confronts Eve first, because uh, she, no, God confronts Adam first. And you know what Adam did? He blamed his wife. <laughs> and then, what does Eve do? She blames the devil. We're good at deflecting, aren't we? And you remember what Adam and Eve did? They sewed themselves fig leaves to try and cover their nakedness. And we're very good at that, aren't we? We want to try and cover sin up a bit. And so we try to uh, sow uh, morality, a little bit of religion, a little bit of self to try and cover our nakedness. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Or you might brush your sin under a carpet and you think, because it's covered now, uh, it can't be seen. Well, maybe we can't see sin uh, in one another if that's the case, but God is still going to see it. The all-seeing eye of God in the letter to the Hebrews, we're told, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jeremiah earlier on talked about the heart being deceitful, this center of our personality, and the word for deceitful is full of folds. Our hearts are just full of folds, and we sometimes deceive ourselves, don't we? We just hide and justify sin in ourselves. What's the answer? What's the answer to the riddle? Look at the verse. If you've got a Bible, in those days, God is looking to a future time. And in that time, says the Lord. And then he says a little later in the verse, I will. What is it? It's not us trying to deal with our sin. 
It's not us trying to deflect. It's not us trying to cover it up. It's not us uh, trying to uh, do a little bit of good, a little bit of religion, hoping that that will balance the scales so that on the last day, God, the judge, will be able to look at all the good that we have done and say that that outweighs the bad. Oh, no. I will, God says. I will remove your sin. I remember reading about a couple giving their testimony. It was in evangelical times. And they said they used to go to a church. And in this church, they were constantly being told what they had to do. Have you been in a church like that? You're being berated because you're not doing something. But then they left that church and they went to this church where they were converted and what they found in this evangelical church was that they were now being told what God had done. That's the gospel. It's not what we do. It's not what I feel or do that can give me peace with God. It's what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel jewel. Uh, if I can quote Paul uh, writing to the Romans, hammering this point, uh, making uh, the Jews realize as much as the Gentiles, are we then better than they? That's our danger, my friends. We think that we are somehow a cut above the rest. And Paul says, not at all. All are in the same boat. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then he goes on to say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. But, God, have you come across that? It's all hopeless and helpless when it comes down to us. We can't do it. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. But God, but God, that's the gospel. We've come across this in the middle of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, similar words. God gave the new covenants. What did God say? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Isn't that good news? The answer to the riddle is not something we do, but something God has done. If you forget everything else this morning, this is what the gospel is all about. I am not ashamed. I am thrilled in the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. But God. What has God done? God, at the start of Jeremiah, brought a charge against his people. God was a judge, and because his people had sinned, he's charging them with guilt. That's what you have, my friend, when you're convicted of sin. You have a guilty conscience. You know that you're not ready to die and stand before God as judge. But God, this is the first thing he does, removes the guilt of sin. How? 
God doesn't brush sin under the carpet. God must punish sin. But God has found an answer to the riddle. God can be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. Have, have you seen the answer to that riddle? Have you had that eureka moment? It might come to you gradually. It might happen suddenly. It was a few months into seeking God that it dawned on me that Jesus Christ came, the Son of God became one of us, a perfect human being, in order to keep the law of God absolutely perfectly. Not one moment did Jesus deviate. He hit the bullseye, as it were, in terms of obeying God. He uh, hit the hole in one. Perfect. And he did that for you and for me. And then he went to the cross. He didn't have to die. There was no sin found in him. But cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And Jesus Christ was cursed because your curse and mine was upon him. The guilt is removed from us and put on another. The innocence dying for the guilty. Have you seen that? It's the most liberating truth once you realise it. It's the stuff of songs. Have you ever wondered why we sing as Christians? I, I, I can't remember. When, when I went to chapel, right, I never heard the gospel. I never heard the gospel in chapel. Uh, what we were given were moral lessons with Christian labels to them. And we never sang. We, we kind of chanted the hymns. Have you ever wondered why real Christianity is a singing religion? Other religions don't really sing, do they? There's a saying which goes like this. The Church of Jesus Christ started singing. Singing. Why do we sing? Well, surely you sing because you love. We know what love songs are. A person has fallen head over heels in love with somebody. And he can't help but sing. Even if he can't sing with his voice, his heart is singing. And so much more when it comes to a person who has fallen in love with Jesus Christ because he realized that Jesus has loved him. He loved me and gave himself for me. This is the stuff of songs. God puts a new song in our mouths and upon our hearts when we realize that Jesus Christ died for me. I stood many years ago now, I don't know if I'll ever go back there, but I stood on the Hooghly River, the Ganges in Serampur. And it was at the spot where um, Krishna Pal was baptized. He was William Carey's first convert. William Carey waited seven or eight years for somebody to be saved. And it was a moving experience to sing Krishna Pal's hymn at the spot he was baptized. This is the stuff of songs. Jesus for thee, a personal Jesus. Jesus for thee, a body takes. 
Do you know what comes next? Thy guilt assumes, thy fetters breaks, discharging all thy dreadful debt. He's paid the debt down to the last half penny if you still have those. Canst thou wear such love forget? Isn't that the greatest of love songs? I've just made a note of some of the hymns that we've got in our hymn book. This is the stuff of songs. You can't sing about Presbyterian church government, can you? (laughs) Well, I can't. My heart can't can't sing about um, the Textus Receptus and the... Codex Sinaiaticus and Vaticanus. I won't bore you with those details. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on that cross, not for the sins of others, but for my sin. He took my sins. This is another uh, love song. My sins and my sorrows and made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary so that I don't have to bear it anymore and suffered and died alone. Isn't that wonderful? And then, this is one of my favourites, my sin. Oh, we're so aware of our sin, aren't we? Even if you're not guilty of flagrant sins, don't you feel a sinner here in the presence of God this morning? My hard heart, my unbelieving heart, my deceptive heart, my gossiping, my covetousness. Oh, I'm a wretch, and yet my sin, I don't just look at it, I transfer it. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I'm lightweight now, because he's borne the sorrow and the sin in my place. There was a woman caught. So she didn't brush it under the carpet. She didn't deflect the blame on others. She was caught red-handed committing adultery. And she was brought, not before any human being, but before the perfect Son of God, who is judge. He's going to come back one day as judge. And Jesus Christ could have condemned that woman... Uh, He said to the people who were accusing her, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And they all whittled away because they were convicted of their sin. And the only one that was left standing was Jesus Christ and that poor woman. And Jesus Christ had every right to condemn her, but he didn't. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. God the judge The just is satisfied. Do do you know why Jesus could say to that poor woman, I don't condemn you? Do you know why he could say that? He wasn't saying that because he was winking at sin. He wasn't saying that because he said to her, oh, it's all right. Sin is only a small thing. Uh, Just don't do it again. Uh, Oh, no. Do you know why he could say that to her? He could say that to a woman. I'm not condemning you because your sin is going to be punished, but you're not going to have to bear that punishment. I'm going to one day go to that cross. And on that cross, I'm going to take the punishment for your sin. I'm going to taste 
the wrath of God, which you deserve, and I'm going to taste it in your place so that you don't have to taste that cup anymore. My friends, Jesus Christ has drank the cup of the wrath of God down to the last dregs for us. He's taken it all so that the cup that we can drink is the cup of blessing. So the guilt is removed. Aren't you glad this morning that he's taken the guilt? And then it's not just the guilt that's been removed. The presence of sin has been removed. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon. Sin is cancelled. It's not just the guilt, but the presence of sin. Do you know why I'm wearing a dark shirt this morning? I've had so many white shirts stained with gravy over lunch. And you wash it, don't you? You, you, uh, you wash it at 90 degrees. And it looks all right. But then when you put it in the sunlight, you can still see the stain. I, I have tried bleaching. But too much bleaching will destroy the fabric. What can take away the stain of sin? Do you know the answer? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here is something that bleaches the darkest of sins whiter than snow. It's not just that God forgets. We, we forgive, don't we? As if we've received Jesus Christ as Savior, if he's forgiven us everything, we forgive, don't we? Can't we forgive one another for wrongs done? But even when God enables us to forgive one another, we can't forget, can we? That's the problem. We can't forget. We will treat people who have wronged us with a bit more care in the future. But God wipes out every remembrance of our sin. Uh, th this is in the Old Testament, isn't it? I'm not even quoting from the New Testament here. God, in blotting out our sins, says, I will remember them no more. The God who cannot lie says, I will remember them no more. The God who knows everything, the omniscient God, is saying, I'm wiping away from my memory every trace of your sin. I, the God who is omnipotent, all-powerful, I'm saying, I will do this so that it will happen. It's like, um, I don't know, if you've got um, uh, something on your computer, even if you wipe it uh, off your search record. It's still going to be there, isn't it? But your sin, because Jesus Christ has dealt with it on the cross, is wiped out from God's eternal memory. It's no more. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you will do in the future. If it's been taken on Jesus Christ... It's been forgiven you and it's been wiped clean so that God the just 
He can say, is he saying this of you this morning? I can see, I can see, he says, I can see not just the outward, I can see the intents of the heart. That frightens me. Doesn't it frighten you? But it's possible for God the just to say, I don't see any, I don't see any sin, I don't see any iniquity in you. Because they've been taken by another. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion. Uh, I found this quote. Uh, this is Spurgeon. This is a sweet truth. And it's easy to utter. But how difficult to grasp. Yet if we are believers in Jesus, we are complete in him. For he has put away all our iniquities and all our sins are cast behind his back into the depths of the sea. <sighs> They're all gone. Two questions to finish. Where is your sin this morning? We're all sinners. No point kidding ourselves. But where is your sin? Either you're still going to take it yourself, bear it yourself, or it's been transferred to Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. Either you're going to have to continue through this life, carrying your sin, bearing the guilt, and one day when you die, you will have to face God as judge, and there's no hope for you then. Or you've transferred it to Jesus Christ. What's a Christian? What's a Christian? A Christian is somebody who has transferred his sin to Jesus Christ. Uh, we've got this in our uh, supplement. I lay, have you done this? I lay my sins on Jesus, just as the priest did in the Old Testament, laying the sins of the people on the sacrifice. I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Where is your sin? Either still on you or it's been transferred on another. And if you are a believer, my second question, who condemns? There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. The judge of all the earth says not guilty. Uh, Paul asked the question in our reading, who is he that condemns? Christ has died. Not that I've managed to remain faithful, but that Christ has been faithful. Who will bring a charge? I know some of you here, you've got oversensitive consciences. I'm a bit like that. We accept that God forgives us, but we can't forgive ourselves. Is somebody here this morning in that category? Oh, my friend, don't carry that burden anymore. Transfer that burden to Jesus Christ as well. If God, the just, is satisfied 
to look on him and pardon me. Can't you forgive yourself? There's a devil, isn't there? Do you know what the devil is called? He's called the accuser. The accuser. And he's brilliant at accusing us. He, he will whisper in your ear, oh, you can't be a real Christian because you've fallen again into that sin. You can't be a believer if your heart is hard. Do you know what you do? You, you don't listen to him. And do you know what you show the devil? Show the devil the blood of Jesus Christ. Say to Satan, look, he's died. He's died. So shut up. It's only the blood that can silence the accusations of Satan. Nothing else. And I need to say this. No one else can condemn you either. We're not very good, are we? At this, we can be so condemning of one another. I, I know I'm a minister, so I'm on the front lines. <laughs> it's part of the job. But really, if Christ hasn't condemned us, we can't condemn one another. Well, what's a riddle? In a people of God that is so full of sin, God says, if you search for that, their sin, it won't be found because my son has dealt with it. And that's the hope for you and for me. Well, I'll stop there.